What's up gamers, I'm Tori Dominguez-Peak. And I'm Noah Hertz. And welcome to Press Start. And hey, we've got some guests this week. Uh, I'm not going to beat around the bush and make stupid jokes. I will just go ahead and introduce our guests. So this week on the show, we have Ben Thorpe and Phil Russell, the hosts of the really excellent interview podcast Origin Story, a show about artists and the art they make. It's not exclusively about people who make video games, but Ben and Phil have had a number of awesome conversations with game devs like Citizen Sleepers, Gareth Damian Martin, an airport for aliens currently run by dogs, Xavier Nelson Jr., and Immortality's Sam Barlow. They've also talked to people who are in the game space, like Waypoint alum Austin Walker. Phil works in the game space as well on the narrative team at Outer Loop Games. And Ben, like us, is not a games journalist, but a journalist who games. Welcome to the show, you guys. Thanks for having us. I'm happy to be here. This is exciting. This is really, this is really cool. I was saying before the show that like, um, I've listened to like quite a bit of origin story, so it's kind of funny like seeing faces on this Zoom call <laughs> attached to voices that I'm used to hearing disembodied. So, hopefully, we impress. No, I, I think I think you will. I, th- I think you have. Um, so tell us about origin story. What what interested you two to make a podcast like that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think we, uh, Ben, we started right at the start of pandemic or like near the beginning of COVID era. Um, and I think for me, at least I was really frustrated with where games journalism was because so much of coverage was about, um, speaking about solely the games and not the people who make the games. Um, and literally I was talking to Ben on, we have like a private Slack channel and I was just like, dude. Somebody should make a podcast where they just interview people in games about It's all themselves. over when you hit them with yeah. the, somebody should make a podcast yeah. about, like, it's all over. And I, I want to be, I feel like real clear, like, this is all Phil's idea. And like, I was like, well, I can just do audio for you. Like, I'll, I'll figure out all the audio <laughs> stuff and you can do the interviews. And he's like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to make you do this with me. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, he definitely uh, kind of was the person to say, yes, you can do this, you know, like, which I think a lot of creatives need sometimes. Um, and then, yeah, after that, uh, my partner, you know, she did all the, the graphic design and the website and, oh, cool. and all that kind of, kind of stuff, but it kind of spun up pretty quick. Right, Ben, I feel like it was like a month or two later that we started going. I think we had been like, oh, you know, it's going to take us months to like plan out these interviews and, you know, we're going to see who we can get. And I think we like put out some initial emails and then within like, I think it was a couple of days, people are like, oh, yeah, we'd be interested in being interviewed. And we were like, oh, I guess I guess this is happening. <laughs> nice. And you you guys go like way back too. you've known each other for a while, too, right? I have been latched onto him like a barnacle since uh, undergrad and uh, haven't let him get away yet. <laughs> I don't mind. Do you think that informs kind of the the conversations you guys have on the show? Because like the Tori and I also have known each other for like several years now at this point. And I feel like that that kind of familiarity with what the other person likes definitely kind of informs some of our conversations. Yeah, I mean, I think like just in general, like everybody that appears on the show, it's either Ben and I have a distinct interest in them. So it's I think that uh, at the the ethos of the show really revolves around like we're not trying to interview anybody just because like they're a big name like we want to have that kind of personal connection uh, because we're both doing this as just a side thing we're not making money off of it and, and as you two know it takes a lot of time and effort to 
you know, produce podcasts, especially when you're not being paid for them. So Mm -hmm. I think just making that time worthwhile, um, it starts with that, like making it just this personal thing that we both can share. Yeah. And I'll also say I use this for evil sometimes, which is like (laughs) sometimes I'm like, I want to talk to somebody about this video game or I want to talk to somebody about this this book. And Phil is like, well, I'm not going to play that or I'm not going to read that. I'm like, well, we booked the interview, so now you have to, (laughs) Uh, which is... The the great chaotic discipline of my, evil booking. I love it's, this. It's I, I it's full evil. Uh, and the 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 great disappointment of my life is I feel like we haven't pulled off someone directly. Uh, we got that we got one of the voice actors from Disco Elysium, mm-hmm. uh, but we were never able to get someone like on that team. Uh, so I haven't haven't yet been able to get Phil to play Disco. Oh my god, yeah. you'll get him. Yeah. you'll get him eventually. I don't think I'm going to be real with you. I don't think I am. <laughs> He's gotten me to buy it twice, so there's something. <laughs> wow. That's funny, because Tori just skipped a step and bought it for me without playing it. She was just like... Well, yeah, it was Christmas gift exchange. <laughs> yeah. And then you got me, uh, oh my god, Tokyo Mirage. Yeah, the, the weird Fire Emblem Shin Megami Tensei one. Yeah, yeah, and I, I bounced off of it in like two hours. <laughs> and and I played Disco Elysium like to death and it became one of my favorite games. So I was yeah. like, yeah, that was, that, was pretty good. that was pretty good. You, you never, never know. know. Exactly. Um, so what is each of your history with gaming? Have you both been gamers your whole life? Did one of you persuade the other to game? The answer to that is kind of. Um... Phil, I'm going to let you talk about kind of your history going in. But, you know, for me, I was like always wanted to be able to play video games, but I had like a shitty like Mac family, like Mac Mm. computer growing up. Uh, And so (laughs) the only thing I could play was like Bugdom, which is like came with the the old Macs. And there was like a video game that I don't remember the name of, but you play as like a velociraptor who has to like save eggs and you're like a time traveling velociraptor you have like a little jetpack oh and a my gun God. That sounds yeah. Awesome. yeah so apple stores used to have like a kid's center you remember this there was like a bunch of little bean bags and big imax this is like early mid 2000s and they would have those games i know oh, okay exactly. yeah okay i never i was in i was in northern michigan so i had no access to an apple store <laughs> Uh, but those are the games that came with it. So I was like, I, I love playing these, but I never really had like a, a gaming console, uh, you know? And so I would play like little indie games. Like I played mm-hmm. a bunch of indie, indie games, uh, when I finally like had different like work computers or whatever. Um, and then like the, the real, like true Genesis is Phil's like, Oh, I'm getting a PS five. Can I send you my old PS four? No and way. I think this happened like right around. This was like probably right in the, the the middle of the pandemic, and it turned me into a monster basically overnight <laughs> because I was just like, "What if I played every video game that I haven't played in all of my years? Like in the span of like I think it was like a year." Um, just went full degenerate mode. God, and yeah. like what a wonderful time to get a PS4 though, because it's at That's the point true. where like there are sales constantly on the digital stuff. And a lot of the physical stuff is like not over forty dollars anymore. So like so right. much of that library is accessible now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I had more of a the traditional, I guess, like quote unquote gamer history. Like I, my, <laughs> I had an older brother who's who's eleven years older than me, and oh, wow. uh, you know he was a big gamer. So like I grew up with like a Super Nintendo and a PlayStation and kind of you know, before school, my brother used to live in the basement of our family home. 
and the TV was like right outside of his room and like this kind of living room area. And I used to like every day before school come down and just like play Japanese role playing games right outside of his door, like, you know, the, the sound blaring and everything like that. Um, but that's all to say, yeah, I've, I've been playing games forever. Um, but I think like something that's interesting about Ben that I didn't learn, you know, because I've known Ben since like 2012 or something mm-hmm. like that. Once I went to grad school in 2016, there was like this we were still talking, but I guess I just wasn't aware of like Ben's gaming life you know and then like i'm still finding out to this day just like literally ben during that that black period played like every indie game known to man like i'm like have you played this he's like oh yeah i played that i'm like what are you talking about so you got i feel like this was like a couple months ago you got mad at me because you're like oh have you heard about this and i was like oh yeah i've like played that you're like shut like why like why have you played that i was like i don't know that was no, all having, I was doing. Having a <laughs> shitty computer does things to people. Like when we didn't have a Mac when I was a kid, but we had like the shitty family laptop that got passed around. And like by nature of my age and like what I was interested in, I kind of dominated using it. And so it was like it couldn't really run anything more graphically intense than like the Elder Scrolls Oblivion. And even then it like nice. sort of chugged a little more than I liked. So it was like, yeah, the outlet was like, you got to play indie games because they are, they're a lot less graphically intensive and they, they pack a punch too. Cause this was like the heyday of the indie game really kind of becoming a, a thing. Yeah. I kind of, I, I kind of like that constraint, even though I, that's not mm-hmm. really what I had. Yeah. I was definitely more of a console kid, but we do have like facts um, because it does force you to like appreciate and get into indie games. Whereas I had this opposite thing or I played console games and AAA games my whole childhood, and then in young adulthood, and like being a teenager and being yeah. on Tumblr, seeing people play Undertale, and I'm like, this <laughs> looks like Pac-Man. What the fuck are y'all doing? Yeah. Like, I have The Last of Us on my PS3, you know. And then like it, it maybe like separate, just because it looks good doesn't mean it has necessarily a good story or whatever. And maybe like deconstruct yeah. what I thought growing Man. up made Man, a the game Tumblr good. Tumblr were, were so, crazy for Undertale when it came out. I remember that. That was wild. <laughs> you know what? They were, they were right. Yeah, they, they were, were right. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They are. I don't want to derail this conversation too much, but I just want to share uh, when I was in high school, I was dating this person and we were like, we'd been together for a while and we were together long enough that we had like merged our steam libraries, which is kind of the like high school oh, equivalent whoa. of like oh, opening shit. a joint bank account. <laughs> I was playing Undertale on his joint Steam account or like on the Steam account. And when we broke up, I like hadn't beaten Undertale yet. And I, I texted him like, can I finish? <laughs> can, I, can you log me back into your Steam account so I can finish <laughs> Undertale? <laughs> and like, I sent me the login information and it still just didn't feel right. It didn't feel right and I couldn't do it. And so I didn't actually beat Undertale until later. But it was just Should've like, I had it. that moment where I was like fuck if only we had just kind of like let this string along for like another week i could have beaten Undertale. <laughs> did you do the dumping or were you the dumpy i, I was the dumpy so uh you know it happens yeah. it was high school <laughs> i got you kind of waited at least one more week yeah, yeah. yeah exactly exactly yeah that, that is something to consider though who gets the steam account and the divorce is, is a That's consideration so that's so true see that's why i've got a choice set up right now because like christine doesn't really own any of the games she's just like i'm slowly bringing her along for the ride so like mm-hmm. they're they're in, they're in my part of the will you know so absolutely 
Okay, I didn't mean to completely derail. <laughs> no, that. you're. I, I yeah, yeah, you did raise a lot of questions. Like, I didn't even know you could merge. Yeah, I didn't know you could do that. And like, is you, it you used to be merged? able to. Yeah, there was a there was like a a little hack that me and some of my friends discovered that was like if you logged into someone else's Steam account on your computer, it would then be like, hey, wait a minute, that's not the, and then try to launch a game from that account. It would be like, that's not the usual account you're logged in on. And then if you logged <laughs> back into your account, you would have all the stuff in their library. And it would like, you couldn't play stuff of theirs at the same time. So like, mm. if I was playing Undertale, they couldn't play Undertale. But like, yeah, you did get like, so like a couple of friends of mine and I had like merged Steam libraries. So it was like, we had just thousands of games, but like my computer couldn't run most of them. So <laughs> It's weird that that is so common because I remember during the PS3 era early on you could just share your login information with somebody oh, log shit. into their account and then just download anything that they've bought in the in the store and then it, it could just have it locally so i used to, same thing so for ps3 for me that's so crazy bring it back i feel like you know turn it turn <laughs> it more into like loaning it feels like there it's like loaning books to people yeah exactly yeah yeah my my husband has like an experience with this where he had a friend he went to high school with and then they went to different schools in college, and in college, his his friend like really tragically passed away. Um, oh my god! And you can still see like the games they lent each other, and like he has Dang. not unfriended his his friend who has passed away several years now. And like, there's something about that digital footprint of like yeah. how loading stuff and merging accounts like tells a story of like friendships and relationships, and like I just think that's really fascinating. That's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. My main takeaway here is Phil, when are you going to merge your Steam library with mine? <laughs> you know, That's I, like I, a marriage proposal. Yeah. I, I thought we were getting serious, and now I'm not so sure. <laughs> so we asked this question to everyone. It doesn't have to be in a particular order, but I love to hear people's responses, which is which are each of your top five favorite games? Oh, God. Oh. Why would you do <laughs> That's so fucking rude. It's I love how sometimes I love how sometimes you ask this at the beginning of the discussion and sometimes it's at the end and it definitely mm -hmm. like it's definitely like a tone changer immediately when it comes out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, vibe killer. Oh god. Um Phil, are you going to fall on your sword uh, or uh you, you know, I mean, I'm I'm going to I'm going to remix the question a little bit just to give myself some some grace and just like these are some games that come to my mind <laughs> immediately. You don't, that's, have, that's you don't have to write them. You have to be like, well, Final Fantasy IX, I don't know if it's a two or a three. You don't have to do that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and this is going to feel like I'm shilling a little bit, but uh, Citizen Sleeper, I mean, that's mm. a perfect example of one that Ben convinced me to get Gareth to be a guest to have on the show. Wow. And um, that game phenomenal like I, I mean i aspire to make any kind of piece of art that's as good as that yeah. um you know growing up i was really into kingdom hearts mm. really really into kingdom hearts uh so I'll, I'll put that on there which one like the first one uh one and two like i was okay. i was really invested at that point after yeah. that i still played them but you know the yeah. diminishing returns <laughs> yes <laughs> Three, three is curiously not on this list for you. Oh, yeah. Three, it's, uh, I played it. I played it. Um, I don't know. What else? Uh, well, Ben, how about you list some? Maybe I'll think of some as you're, as you're going. 
yeah, I unfortunately have become a big FromSoft head. Mm. So I think I think Dark Souls 3 is going on that list. I'm so sorry to everyone. <laughs> um I really loved Pentiment. Pentiment was like a game that I I still think about a lot. Um I think Wait, did you say Dark Souls 3? Yeah. <laughs> I'm doing three. I'm doing three over one and two. I'm so sorry. I know. I know. I am a I little know. surprised by that. I've but, never yeah. met anyone who who would put two on their list. So That's two is unhinged. Yeah. Anyone who put two, it puts two is depraved. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what did I say? Three pentiment. Yeah. Would, um, would pentiment have gone on your list even if you guys hadn't talked to like one of the key people behind it? Or... Yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. I, I mean, that was a game where it's like I think the the story was just like really moving. Also hit me, I think at the at the right time. Mm-hmm. Um, where you're thinking about like art and storytelling and what does it mean if nobody's gonna read it or nobody's gonna look at it? Uh, which is something that I, I don't know, as a as a journalist who's writing a lot of stories, I'm also thinking about what does it mean yeah. if like nobody's looking at these stories and like do they still have value and do they still have purpose? Uh, yeah, and so. I think there was a lot of elements of that story that were just like, like very resonant for me uh, at this moment. So, Pendiment definitely is up there. Um, Morrowind, I Ooh. love Morrowind, um, and I spent a horrifying amount of time in in Morrowind. This was like probably the last like Mac game that I played before the the PS4 that changed my life showed up. Um, but I found a way to get it to like work on my Mac and uh, it was just like great. Uh, like a, I think there's something about that world that's like more sci-fi than fantasy um, and also moving through a world that like actively doesn't kind of want you to be there um, hmm. for whatever reason, I think just like felt very resonant to me or I was like, oh, yeah, uh, like, this is yeah. this is yeah, good. Your, your like from this. soft interest being in a world that actively hates you. Right, it's right. Vibe. The world's like, yeah. why are you here? You kind of suck. We don't want to it's see just like you. It's like being a like, journalist for real. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. Oh no. <laughs> but Morwen is interesting to me because we've had people on here, and like I, I'm starting to keep like a mental tally of like most mentioned games, and like mm-hmm. Chrono Trigger is is a recurring one. Kingdom Hearts one is one that comes up a lot, and the other one that also comes up is like Skyrim. People like are yeah. like Skyrim mm. obligatory depression game, but I've never heard of Morrowind or an Oblivion. So I'm just curious why huh. Morrowind. Why Morrowind? I I feel like the um, Sk- Skyrim kind of feels like it's a thing that you can kind of pick up and put down, but it doesn't feel like it has like weight to me. And I yeah. think there's something about you're constantly coming up against the systems in Morrowind in a way that makes it feel like it has like real weight to it. I yeah. think like Skyrim mm. just like feels very flighty to me. It feels like a thing that it's like you, you know you you don't really exist in that world. Mm-hmm. But Morrowind, I think there is something about the way that the everything is kind of pushing back at you hmm. um that makes it feel more more grounded and more real. Um hmm. and I also just think that the the like setting is a lot more beautiful. I mean like going around like Norse pseudo Norse like world I'm like, eh, you know, I think we've all seen it at this point. But when you're like going into, you know, there's like an ocean area where there are these like giant mushrooms that they've built, you know, they're like little homes inside of that stuff's just like great. I think there is something to be said, too. And like it can't help. But I don't know if you guys feel the same way. Make me feel kind of like old man yells at cloud when I play games that are like 
so polished that it kind mm. of uh some of the friction is gone like yeah. it, mm-hmm. it does feel like kind of a weird old head gamer thing to say but it's like sometimes that friction of unreliable or even just a little janky systems like feels kind of good in retrospect like i'm feeling that a lot right now playing um pikmin 4 which like fantastic game it looks incredible it feels incredible to play it's i i'm really enjoying it but like considering the last pikmin game i played was the first one which is a far jankier and far less forgiving game i do hit times in this game where like I'm uh say like four days in and they're still tutorializing things. And I'm thinking like in the first game, they would have told you to just like get fucked at this point. Like <laughs> you get you launch into that game and you just get told to get fucked. And it's like figure everything out as you go. And mm. I think that's that's like a that's a positive and a negative thing about a lot of older games is some of them just kind of did tell you like figure it out and some of these systems are a little janky, but you gotta live with that. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, there's nothing wrong with like the I love a good smooth brain game mm-hmm. from time to time. But I think about that in the same way that like, you know, what are the what are the books that stick with me? They tend to be ones where it's like I really had to wrestle with it. And like, hmm. I think things that are like you have to come to me on my terms and engage with me. Yeah, uh, tends to be stuff that sticks with me more than stuff where I'm like, this was like so easy. All the systems were just like perfectly streamlined and there was mm-hmm. never a problem. To be honest, Noah, this is what has put me off of games like Fortnite. There's something about them that feels a little too clean. Yeah, that makes sense. Fortnite is about as smooth yeah. brain as a game can possibly be. Yes, that's yeah. true. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the Sheehan Hall of video games. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's actually 100% true. You guys aren't off the hook yet, though. I think you're both at like two Phillip, or three. Philip is said to come back. Oh, God. I was hoping I, you were distracted. I think... <laughs> I think I've got like two more. I've got to say maybe three okay. more. Okay. Um, I'll say Dark Souls one. Like I, I feel like uh, that game I Real hit shit. right when, um, like before the wave happened for me. Like I played it right around release, and I'd found some like YouTube guy at the time who was playing it just at the same time that I was. So I kind of played <laughs> oh, wow. along with him, um, and that was a really unique experience. Um. To, to go against the the chrono trigger truthers that have come on the podcast in the, in the past uh i think that uh while trigger is you know an amazing game i think chrono cross is the better one mm-hmm. um i think because of what ben's getting at and what noah you're getting at of like chrono cross is this there's a lot more friction there it's kind of oh, yeah. messy but it's also a game so much about like identity about time um about our you know impact on land and the people around us um that i think that it's just a much more interesting game like the further and further i get out from it and it's also one of the first games i played where um i at least i noticed that there's like distinct um like dialects in Mm. a game even though Mm. there's no voice acting but just like that actually how the how it's written you actually can see hey there's they're speaking differently um which wasn't something that i really noticed you know, as a kid uh, playing other games. So hmm. I'm throwing that in there. I think we can, uh, we can come back to, to your favorite oh, games God. later. Give okay. me a little more time to think about it. Um, in the meantime, we'll talk a little more about your podcast. I, one thing I've been really interested about is that uh, a theme that you guys keep coming back to, especially in your current season of the show, I'm thinking particularly about the interview you had with um, game dev and writer Hannah Nicklin about, that started ostensibly about the game she was working on 
and then kind of turn to a lot of talk about sustainability in the games industry and making it making it a place for people to actually work in a sustainable way, especially in light of a lot of the labor issues in the games industry. I mean, that's something that we talk a lot about on the show. Have you guys learned from your guests, whether they be games people or not, about how to make the art space a more sustainable place to make art, games or otherwise? You know, I, I feel like, yeah, so this season, especially, we've been really interested in like sustainability in the sense of how do we make games more sustainable, especially. <laughs> um, and yeah, we've talked to creators like Hannah Nicklin and Zalavir Nelson about how they do it. Uh, I kind of feel like through these conversations, maybe what I'm learning is, I mean, not something that's something that's pretty obvious that it's really hard to do you know, to be intentional and um, try to make a kind of elsewhere for game development to happen, a place where like things are done a little bit differently, a little bit more human centered. Uh, and there's a lot of kind of work that that goes into that. Oftentimes that is unpaid and takes a lot of time and, you know, you don't have to do it in order to make games. Like it's kind of something that you really have to force yourself to do. But I, I kind of feel like from the people we've talked to while, you know, people like Hannah Nicklin and Zalabir are doing really interesting things for their individual companies. Uh, it feels like it's a, for me at least right now, it feels like a really losing battle. Like the more I just see in the news about, yeah, especially in the indie space, <clears throat> like that this, the industry isn't really set up to allow people to even make games and very sustainable human-centered ways uh unfortunately i guess that's the downer answer but maybe ben has a different pov <laughs> uh no i i don't have a different pov i feel like i feel like <laughs> we're coming at it in a very similar way where it's like it it just seems like and I, I i don't even think that this is just like specific to games i just think that we're we're in this movement in a lot of industries where we're having these yeah. conversations around like how sustainable is this is this the way that we can be doing this moving forward mm -hmm. is this going to continue to um work for people in their and their lives and can we continue yeah. to ask for this much work around these kind of different products you know I, i'm sure y'all are starting to have these conversations in journalism where i think it's a, a conversation that is alive and well where we're like hey can i continue to keep doing this for the amount of pay that i'm doing and for the amount of work that is demanded of me every yeah. single day um, and for the amount of hours that it stretches into the the night or the weekend or whatever. Um, and so I, I think just across a lot of um, industries, we're having this conversation about, you know, how can this keep working? Can this keep working? Um, and it's, yeah, I don't, I, I want to be able to end on an optimistic note, but I'm often left in a place where I'm like, this just feels bad and I don't know what the answer is. Um, and I, I think that, you know, even, even people like Hannah, who I think are, are like, very intentional and very purposeful you know there there's still this question about like well where does the funding come for the next game and yeah. you know on, at, on some level we're gonna have to get the game even bigger we're gonna have to ask for more money and that has to come from somewhere in order to make this thing keep going because otherwise people you know lose their jobs yeah. and so uh that kind of it feels like it hangs in the background of a lot of these conversations where it's like you know 
yes, we're trying to make this thing that is a good piece of art, mm -hmm. but also like we hopefully all my coworkers like still have a job and we can still get the next game at the end yeah. of this. And that's like really hard. And I, I think like uh, you, you know, maybe heard it in the Josh Sawyer conversation, but he's like, hey, I got to make my cool piece of art, but like I'm an anomaly in that like a big studio was just like, here, have, have, a have some cash and some people and we don't care that this thing is not going to make money. I think for most people, the reality is we have to try to like make sure that we can make the argument for the next thing and the next thing and the next thing to keep growing this thing bigger. And so I think that inevitably can lead to, you know, this all these other things that we're talking about, which is like, what well, what are the working conditions uh, under which you have to like build those things? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, you you just I think another thing is like you just never know like what like what how people are actually doing or like how companies are actually doing because like another example that was kind of like a, a gut punch for the show was like we had Austin Walker on who now works at Possibility Space, one of the founding members of a Waypoint, and literally we had him on a week before Waypoint got gutted That's by crazy. Vice. And, you know, during our conversation, he's like, yeah, it seems like they're doing good you yeah. know, for that. For, I'm, I mean, I'm paraphrasing, wow. but no, you know, I, largely. It, like, I think we were straight up. We're like, oh, it seems like you're an anomaly in that you've made a place where this kind of stuff can happen and you don't have to worry as much. And then it was like a week later, like, oh, yeah, <laughs> no, I was going to bring up the Austin Walker conversation because I think um, that was a really fascinating conversation to me because I think. Even even when they were doing good, and, and I mean, they all talked about that in kind of the postmortem after Waypoint died, that they were like, we were one of the more profitable arms of Vice, but it wasn't infinite growth profitable. It was it was normal growth profitable or like steady, steady plateaued growth stagnant. Exactly. And so it's like, stagnant I think even growth. even yeah. though Austin could tell that uh, yeah. it was going OK, he could still see the writing on the walls. And that's that's tough to hear a creator talk about like having created something really special and having created a space where where they're doing something different but still know that like the tide is against them and eventually like it's gonna come crashing down because like the venture capital money is not interested in some of that unless it's completely infinite growth forever yeah yeah and i mean like something that i've i've learned being on the game development side of things and through some of the people we've talked to, uh, like something that I was really fascinated with that, I don't know if Zalavir said it in the conversation because I also interviewed him for an article that I did, but mm -hmm. he was telling me about how it's like really easy, it's easier to get funding, like to get, let, let's say $20 million to make a video game versus $2 million. Um, and at the time I was like, I just don't, can't really square why that is, like like what what you're actually saying. And I think, the longer I've been on the game development side, you just realize like a lot of game contracts are pretty similar to like book publishing contracts where you have to, you have to sell oh, out of your- that's an interesting comparison. Yeah. Yeah. You have to like basically sell a certain amount of copies until you make back whatever the budget was. And then you start making like a percentage of each sale. Um, and because of that, that's why you see so many indie game developers going with like these Game Pass deals and PlayStation Plus and and all these things because it helps kind of uh, stem some of the bleeding that comes into like trying to pay back whoever it is is your investor and mm. 
I don't know. It just seems like, yeah, the more people you talk to in that space, you're just like, damn, I don't know how anybody makes a second game, you know, yeah. <laughs> at, at that scale of like mm -hmm. less than $10 million. Uh, so. Right. And I, I think we, we have a similar conversation right now in, in movies, right? Where it's like, everyone's like, yeah. well, what happened to like the mid budget movie? Uh, and it's like, well, you know, the investors don't want the, the $20 million movie that you make maybe three or four, maybe even 10 million off of. You know, they're they're more than willing to do the multi-million dollar m movie that's going to make them maybe a billion movie. Right. And so yeah. it's like that's yeah. that's the kind of investment that uh, people are looking for. And so any of that stuff that's like maybe a little bit mid budget or maybe a little bit smaller, you know, it's going to be more sustainable. It's going to make just a little bit of a profit just doesn't have the same level of interest. Yeah. So if someone has never listened to origin story and they want an episode to listen to. What episode would you have them listen to? What episode is like quintessential origin story? Uh, Phil, I'm going to let you take that one. What? <laughs> um, hmm, that's interesting. Uh, I'm just pulling up the website right now. Uh, <laughs> Frantically yeah, it's, pulling it's, up the it's website. Funny. It's funny because I feel like there's a difference between probably what I'm emotionally drawn to or like what Ben you're emotionally drawn to in terms of the episodes versus like, okay, this is like indicative of what the show is all about. I mean, again, I think like, uh, the citizen sleeper episode is really good. Um, with Gareth Damian Martin, uh, the, uh, Craig, Greg Kasavin episode about Hades is good. Although mm -hmm. like we're definitely still getting our sea legs. It's like our second episode. I mean, Austin Walker is good. It's long though. <laughs> uh Zalavir Nelson Jr. I think is also a good one. But I mean if I were to give like a personal favorite, which isn't one that probably anybody on the show would know the person, uh I think the Jeff Pianki episode, Ben, mm. like that might be one of my favorites, just because it's somebody that uh, you know, both of us had a connection to in undergrad, like loved his music and he like played songs on the, the show for us and everything. And it's just good good to meet him. So that's kind of yeah. like a personal choice. Ben, what about you? Oh God. I was just gonna say, Phil, great answer. Uh, <laughs> I, so one that I come back to a lot and like still think about is the, uh, we had a conversation with Matthew Sagey Burns. This is like really early on and, uh, at his game, Eliza, which was about an AI therapy chatbot. And I think about it all the time because, <laughs> uh, therapy chatbots are much more common now. And yeah, I think a lot of that game was like, was just like very smart about like looking ahead and being like, this is the world that we're moving towards. Um, and it was a, it's a great little game. So yeah, I, I think that one. And I also, I don't know why I'm pulling from the, like the first couple, but uh, I really loved signs of the sojourner sojourner. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and Steve Pardo was just a super fun interview because he was talking about like the different soundscapes that he was making and, and the different kind of, music that he was building towards um and and i think getting to use some of those tracks in the episode was like just a blast mm -hmm. yeah yeah i mean i think with those earlier episodes um something that has kind of dropped off as we've continued developing the show just because like pipeline get more episodes out and we're both busy is like initially one of the kind of big points of origin story that we were interested in is mm -hmm kind of having this thing i think at the time we were calling it like the spark or something like that but um basically it was a question about you know if we're talking to greg kasavin about hades like what it was like the the moment 
for him in that development of that game that sticks out and then you know have him tell a story so on that episode he talks about like this immigrant experience mm-hmm. uh, and how that's connected to uh zagreus and his his uh story uh, and we kind of tried to build out these little soundscapes that you you see in some of the earlier episodes and i think in a lot of ways that's a call back to the podcast ben and i used to do after college called the loon cast which was much more inspired by radio lab and kind of having like these fully scripted out fully sound you know designed episodes very uh, produced yeah 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 that's that's all to say i think some of the, the the earlier episodes have like a special vibe to them phil i'm curious i know you said that part of the inception of the show was um kind of some frustration with the state of games journalism when you guys started and about where things were at why why then did you guys go the angle you did specifically about like the the creative process behind things like how did you end up there yeah i mean for me uh so when when the pandemic and lockdown happened i was in my final quarter of my mfa and i was studying prose writing working on like short stories and this memoir project and uh Shortly after I graduated, like basically all of my friends in Seattle where I live, who I met through the program, like moved away because we nobody knew what was going to happen. And I just found like I really missed that kind of creative community that I had before. And one way, like outside of like Ben has always been somebody that I go to to like bounce ideas off, share stories you know, we work, we workshop our stuff all the time. Uh, but I wanted to like expand that and talk to people whose work I really cared about. Uh, so in a lot of ways, it was like a selfish thing. I was like, I just want to talk to people that I really love their work, hear about what, what they're doing. And I think if anything, the project has really demystified the fact that like a lot of these creators are like us, (laughs) you know, if you're comfortable sharing, what is a dream guest that you would like to have on the show <laughs> but have not yet maybe you can manifest it by talking about it yeah that's a great question i feel like the we should we should just say the the start of this most recent season we were like who are the who are the big people that we think like we can't get and then s- sent those people emails and i think like for the most part they came back and we were like very excited about it like uh, victor lavelle was one that for like a while was like It'd be super cool to get him on the on the show. He's really cool. Um, and so that was a big deal when that came back. I think Josh Sawyer was another one where we were like, it would be really cool if we got him. Um, so now I'm like, yeah, what's the Phil, what's our dream tier? <laughs> I feel like the, the 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 dream that you and I have talked about before is uh <laughs> getting Ethan Hawk, right? Like that's the mm-hmm. that's wow. the true end game for us. <laughs> wow. We want we want to sit is... across from Ethan Hawk and be like Tell us not about any of your recent movies. We just want to talk about the Beyond trilogy. <laughs> there, there's another podcast, and there's like no beef or anything, but there's another podcast called Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso. Fragoso, I mm-hmm. think his name is. Um, it's like an interview podcast, kind of like ours, but he primarily interviews like actors and really famous people. And I, I feel like that's kind of like our nemesis in the sense of like that's the person like we look at what whoever they have a guest and we're like damn it we need to get whoever so like he has a, an amazing conversation like phenomenal phenomenal interview with ethan <laughs> it's so good uh so that's kind of our fire a fire under our ass but yeah you know uh i mean looking at our 
our email because like i'll just send emails to out for possible uh interviews i think somebody that i've tried to get a lot is uh andy shaw who's a musician mm-hmm. like singer songwriter yeah. type um jose gonzalez i feel like a lot of musicians hmm. for me mm. are ones that i i've been trying really hard to get on the show but damn it really fucking sucks trying to get musicians on the show so because <laughs> unlike with with a lot of other people where it's like you you're like probably emailing them directly and it's just a question of like whether or not they're going to see it true uh, yeah. most musicians there's an agent who's like yeah nah. who's a publicist yeah. yeah well same with actors too yeah that, there's always a hoop to jump through yeah i had that exact For thought sure. recently when uh, i saw a video it was like during the press junket pre-strike for the new teenage ninja turtles movie Ayo um, Itabiri mm-hmm. was being interviewed, and for some oh. reason, they asked her about video games she likes. This is like an interview for the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, and she's like, "I really liked Disco Elysium." And I saw that, and Let's I was go. like, "I was like, what do we have to do to get Ayo Itabiri on our podcast?" And so, <laughs> like, I went and looked, dream. and her her Twitter was gone. Like, she deleted her Twitter. So I'm like, "Okay, Damn. her Twitter's gone. That's it. The only other thing is like yeah. emailing an agent." I'm like, "How the fuck does how the fuck does this work?" <laughs> yeah, it's really hard. Um, when I I was a fellow at Vox mm-hmm. uh, about a couple years ago, wow. and um, yeah, I got to do some booking and some producing for Today Explained. And one of the hosts of Today Explained was like, "I want to talk to Nathan Fielder about the rehearsal." <laughs> and the amount of hoops I had to jump through to try to get to Nathan Fielder um, was a lot. And I finally got an email from his publicist saying that he didn't want to do an interview with Damn. us. Wow. Um, my guess is because we were a news podcast and he would come in and like his Nathan Fielder character. Mm-hmm. like that's like has anyone actually just seen Nathan Fielder be himself, like a normal person? You're right. I don't yeah. even know yeah. if that person even exists. <laughs> yeah. Like I think his entire like it's a bit my thought yeah. is it, even more so than agents. I feel like to get to Nathan Fielder, you have to get through like six imposters who are like exactly <laughs> like him. But you have to like answer riddles or pass tests. Like, yeah, in the rehearsal, he is trained a guy to be exactly, exactly like him. He's yeah. hired an actor. It's like the way like uh, yeah. like MF Doom used to send people who weren't MF Doom to concerts, and then people would figure it out to be like, "Yo, what the fuck?" <laughs> I yeah. um. Before we like fully move on from talking about the your guys podcast and we'll start talking about some of the games we've been playing recently, I'm curious whether or not there's any kind of cross-pollination between the show and your professional lives and your careers and that kind of thing. Because uh, one thing we found is that like it's it's really hard for our perspectives as like mm. journalists and as people in I don't know Tori, you're specifically in like the audio field and I'm in the print field. Like it's very hard to divorce some of the the ways I view the world because of that with the way I view games. And I know, Phil, with you especially, you've jumped from not being in games to being in games. Like, how does the show relate and kind of uh, weave in and out of your personal and professional lives? What a great question. Thank you. Uh, (laughs) You know, um, I'm letting Ben do this one first. Okay. I mean, I I think that like it's it's pretty one to one to one in terms of like you know what are our focuses. We tend to I think like with a lot of creatives get into like how did you how do you what's your process what what got you writing what are the you know what are the tips and tricks for getting your novel done 
uh, because those are things that we care about. I think when we're talking to people about the labor issues, those are things because we're yeah. like, man, we're, our workplace is pretty fucked. Let's like talk to someone about it. So I think the the it's like they're pretty inseparable. Um, and and you know, I would also give the example of like again, like Phil getting a job in the industry that he's like having these conversations within, where it's like, yeah, I just I just think that it's it's one to one, and you know, it's it's hard to separate your your interviews and the things that you're interested in and the things that you kind of focus on across an interview with like just who you are as a person and like the, the work that you do otherwise. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I kind of feel like, uh, yeah, pre pre getting my job at outer loop games and post getting it, I probably would have different perspective. Uh, like right now, something that I've noticed in interviews with game developers is like with for instance josh sawyer i was just like super fascinated about like the more technical stuff related to like hmm. narrative design and like since i'm learning that right now and um i think that's like a direct in some ways these interviews become more and more helpful because i can just talk to people about like really specific things relating to games and oftentimes like we have somebody on the show and I'll get their discord or whatever. And like, I can keep talking to them over there about, about yeah. different stuff. But yeah, I mean, I also do like freelance journalism, um, on the side. And yeah, I think a lot of the stuff around sustainability and like identity and that kind of side of things is mostly what I try to focus on in that, in that work. Uh, so, I mean, that's probably something there, but I think if anything, it's just like for me a selfish way of like talking to creative people, and oftentimes, you know, Ben and I get off a conversation, and I feel like revitalized to work on a personal project mm -hmm. afterwards. Um, so that's definitely something I really needed after graduating, and it continues to be a really valuable thing today. But I mean, the obvious answer is yeah, I got a job through Origin Story, basically. So that's um, sick. Yeah. Yeah, I will say, um, likewise, with, like, the revitalization bit, um, I've never been in a host situation or co-host situation. Mm. I've only, I mean, like, when I, I, you know, interned at an NPR station in college, so, like, my voice is on the air, but this is, that's different doing, like, tape and copy stories or 60-second little lips, um, like, little spots, um, than co-hosting, like, a whole ass show. Um, and I put that like on my resume now when I apply for jobs, I'm mm -hmm. like, I have experience reporting and producing and editing and hosting. And it's like an actual skill, you know? Yeah. And the other thing that I just think is tangentially interesting is that I'm very much not a night person. Hmm. So hmm. when we first did this show, I was nervous about me like falling asleep <laughs> if we started taping at eight. <laughs> It's like I am naturally just very sleepy past like 830. Mm -hmm. Respect. Um, very much like an early going to bed, early waking up person. But I have noticed that any evening that we tape, I, I am energized. I get a second win yeah. from taping. And I think that is a good thing. Like that's like the opposite of burnout. <laughs> yeah. I, okay. So I, there's a there's another thing that you're kind of saying there that is making me think about. I think that the other piece to this here is just like, um, one of the best pieces of advice I think I got as a journalist was early on. I had a mentor that was like, you know, make sure that your whole personality is not invested into this because mm -hmm. I think it's like it's very much a thing to be like, 
I'm a journalist and like that's my whole bit. Um, yeah. And I, I think that like I think about origin story and I think about creative projects in a lot of ways as like things that I can cordon off that are just for me um, and things that I just care about. And I think that that's in some ways like the thesis of of this podcast, which is like, how do you find space for these creative things that aren't always going to be things that make you money and aren't always going to be things that have immediate payoff, but like, how do you make time and space for them? And so yeah. I think the the podcast really slots into that exact thing as like a thing that we're finding space for and a thing that like when we step away from it, when we come away from a good interview, it's like, it feels great. And it feels like a thing that is like, you know, we have to ourselves that is disconnected from, yeah. you know, who we are as, as workers. Yeah. Well, cause it's for you. Yeah. That's like you said, it doesn't, it's not making you any money. It's not lining your pockets, but like, this isn't work that you're doing for somebody else. This is, this is labor that you get to kind of enjoy all the fruits of. And I think that's, yeah. there's something to be said for that for sure. Yeah. And I mean, like another thing I'd just say, and maybe I, maybe I'm getting a little sentimental, but it's like, you know, Ben is like my best friend. I've been collaborating with him for almost 10 years now on projects and it's very easy to do. It's something I love to do. Uh, so like in some ways, although I talk to him like every day outside of origin related shit, like it's just another way to like make something with somebody that I care about and that I you know, don't live near anymore. Like we live across the country, a country from each other. Um, so, you know, I think for me, there is just, uh, you know, a, a level about that of just like, it's, you know, that that's the reason why you don't see any episode of origin story where it's just like one of us yeah. interviewing somebody. Cause it's like, I wouldn't want to do it that way. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, that's all to say, like, you know, it's just a great way to kind of continue, you know, bolstering a friendship that, is already you know really important to me so like it's it's great to kind of have that as another outlet of exploring exploring that totally really and cool. it's just like it's structured time right where it's like i think that you know we talk shit all the day in the chat but it's like i think finding these structured moments of here's this thing that we're like doing together it's a kind of different aspect of the relationship uh and it it just i think it just makes it a lot stronger yeah this reminds me, so there's this woman on Twitter who posts her dad's conversation with his friends when they go to the bar yes. every week, and there's like a list of topics that's like women's soccer. This was some sort of dilemma they're debating, like, is it rude to parallel park when there's when it's raining outside? Uh Braves versus Mets game. Yeah. Uh new country music video. It's always like the most the just insane <laughs> topics, honestly of like these six old men who like go to the bar every Thursday night. And it's funny. Like she's been posting their weekly word doc, like subject matter for like the past 26 weeks. But I look at that and I'm like, that is a podcast. Yeah, it is. It's the, <laughs> like, it looks identical to our Google, Google docs where it's like, yeah, I was like, no, this is just press start. It's like Noah talks <laughs> about the new star Wars thing. Grudgingly. The, this is going to be Noah and I like in 30 years who, we probably won't have the show anymore, but we'll, we'll mm. we might just do that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. This is reminding me of, did anyone see that? I feel like there was a meme. It was either this week or last week where it was like some podcast host being like, you ever just like turn off the mics and just like, you just like talk to the people around you. And then everyone is just like quote tweeting it. Like these idiots just discovered hanging out. Yeah, that's true. It's true. 
I look forward to whenever she publishes or uh, posts that agenda picture yeah. from her dad because oh some, sometimes she'll post it the same day that I'm hanging out with a couple of my, my guy friends here <laughs> and I'll just screenshot that send it be like this is the agenda for today <laughs> <laughs> speaking of just having a conversation okay we have now moved into the second half of the show which is when we talk about what we've been playing so I want to ask each of you mm. what games have you been playing? It doesn't have to be games. Sometimes we talk about like what shows we're watching, yeah. what media Play you're is consuming, etc. Verb here, but yeah. yeah. Unless to- uh, I've been playing right. Baldur's Gate. Yeah, three. You and everyone yeah. else, it seems like. Yeah, yeah, yeah very true. <laughs> yeah, playing that and uh, Final Fantasy 16 are probably the mm. two kind of big games I've been playing recently, and then Dredge on my uh, on Steam. Yeah, I want to ask you about Final Fantasy 16 because I know you've got something coming in the pipeline about it. Yeah, um, so like when Final Fantasy 16, when, when that demo came out, mm-hmm. that was like the prologue of the game. Something mm-hmm. I was really interested in in that opening section is like, I didn't realize that slavery was going to be a part of the game or like servitude, whatever you want to call it, how, yeah. in terms of how they depict it. Yeah. Um, so I was really interested in playing the game, especially with them being like, oh, it's it's like Game of Thrones. It's mature. Like <laughs> we're, we're going deep onto these issues uh, to see how they are going to to handle that aspect of the story. Um, and the essay kind of the pitch of it largely is about how they have a they have an interesting setup with how they've set up this world that is based around using magic and everybody uses magic mm-hmm. to basically do everything. Um, and the, there's slavery involved in that, but it kind of, you know, spoilers, I guess, if you want to skip ahead a second, it, it kind of drops that, that whole idea, like halfway yeah. through. Um, it, and I was curious about that. I, I was kind of, cause they, they make it such a big deal that like, Clive is not the chosen one in the family. He's just the bearer. Um, and it's bearers are kind of like uh, sort of revered, but also looked down upon at the same time of like uh, you, you protect the dominant, like you were effectively a knight. But then at the same time, you know, like you can only take so much magic or you can only like use so much magic until you die because your form is inferior and people hire you and you see people being like a hundred gill for a, a branded or you know whatever they want to call you so it is literally slavery um and then it feels like the rules don't always apply to clive mm-hmm. like he gets his branded mark removed mm-hmm. uh, through a certain point in the game and it's like oh, but that's the social stigma that's what brands you and he just gets to be exempt from that and then he's using magic like fucking crazy yeah. <laughs> the entire rest of the game. And like, spoiler alert, um, that only starts to affect your body like basically after the final boss fight, which is kind mm-hmm. of bonkers to me. I'm like, this guy should have died like 30 hours ago. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I think like the, I, without getting into like a whole spoiler cast about Final Fantasy 16, I think like just like a really interesting choice that the game makes is. You know, this happens in the first like three hours of the game is that the kind of middle the game takes place in three time periods of his life. And like in the 20 year old section, um, 
basically the game starts on essentially your last day as a slave and then like it goes on it goes on from then it's like the record and scratch just, like uh how, yeah you see how like, i ended up here <laughs> you're not going to you know like, uh and i just find that such a strange choice if it's so interested and like clive being this um you know resistance leader like why wouldn't we be grounded into the years of his life where he's in servitude for literally 13 years like why why aren't we seeing any of that and you don't yeah. see any of that um and ultimately i just kind of found like well the game is fun i mean i obviously beat it and i played basically everything in it largely because all the slavery stuff is in the side content but hmm. um it just felt like a failure of imagination in a lot of hmm. senses it's mm-hmm. like it, it, the game doesn't seem to realize that slavery is also an existential threat, not just aliens or like, you know, like the big bad that classically are in Final Fantasy games. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I wish it was better. I was really hyped for that game, but I was left disappointed. Hmm. Listen, Final Fantasy seven part two is just around the corner. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You'll have another opportunity to uh, fall in love, maybe, with a Final Fantasy game. Maybe. <laughs> it's going to be good, I feel like. Yeah, I feel like they are like very much contractually obligated to not fuck up any Final Fantasy <laughs> property, because that, that's like their MCU. <laughs> Tori, what about you? What have you been playing? Um. So today, actually, I, um, I finished, in quotation mark, Pikmin 4. And by finish, I mean I finish like the main quest in the credits roll, but then very soon after the credits roll, they give you a whole new mission. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, so it's like a, yeah, JK, actually, um, we have this whole new thing. And it's effectively the second half of the game, I just learned. Oh, um, no. So oh, I just no. got bamboozled. <laughs> yeah, Pikmin does that. And um, <laughs> so I'm doing that. It's very interesting to me because Pikmin 4 introduces all these devices and characters that were in previous Pikmin games. And so you do the first half of the game, you roll credits, you hit the second half of the game, and they, like, strip that from you. Hmm. And they're hmm. like, it's Pikmin 1 again, baby. Like, you don't get the talk, you don't get the dog anymore. You don't get these cool abilities anymore. Like, it, you were just a guy yeah. with all these other little guys, just like the original GameCube game. And it's kind of a tough adjustment mm-hmm. um, because I miss my dog. I miss my dog that had the strength of a hundred Pikmin, just absolutely <laughs> roided out, destroying every enemy. And now it's just me. Um, I have like an empty nester syndrome. And yeah, it's it's interesting tonal shift there. Um, I don't know how long I'll play it because I did like the main thrust of the game. The reason why you do this like second half of the game basically is to get a truer ending. Yeah. So I don't know if I really am mm. invested enough to do mm-hmm. that. But I also am addicted to the gameplay at this point. Yeah. Like I love, especially in the Switch format, how put down and pick upable Pikmin is because a day in Pikmin is like five minutes. And so you can just be like, I'm going to do a day in Pikmin mm-hmm. and then put it down. And something about that is so appealing to me that I'm like, I might just beat like 100 percent this game um not because i'm putting serious hours like in front of my television at night but because i just have it with me if i'm waiting on someone else to respond to me at work Mm -hmm. or something like it's just gonna be it's gonna become like my mobile game i will say like uh i have not played any of those bits but i watched christine play through some of the bits that were like 
post the credits rolling some of the like really difficult challenges and like it reaches a point where you're min-maxing like every fucking second you are working oh, no. like <laughs> i saw some of those challenges where like i was watching her try to beat this one and she was like i just need like four more seconds i just need to optimize what i'm doing by like four more seconds and i'm yeah. like that's horrifying and so like now that like spoiler you're still talking about what you're playing but like now that i'm playing it like she's been watching me kind of play through some of the early stuff and she's like it's so interesting watching you because i'm noticing that like um i i haven't really like gotten hip to a lot of the optimization that happens in this game so like when you uh if you tell the pikmin to like pick to knock down a bridge or to knock down a wall when all the little rocks fall out of it that you can take back to your your little base they'll just automatically grab those but for a lot of stuff like that, I'm like waiting around for them to finish, calling them and then throwing them back to it. And she's like, what are you doing? You're wasting like precious seconds. And I'm like, well, in the older games, they didn't just automatically start the next task. You had to like hang out there and tell them to do shit. So it's it's funny. Yeah. Is it is it fun, though? It is. OK. It is. You just get a little nervous when like your time is running out. At least I do. Yeah, I I really struggle with timed game. Like any game with like a timed element, I'm immediately like, I think I'm having a bad time because I just can't. I can't. It immediately it like takes over my brain, and then I'm like, no, but like we really just we just got to optimize the time. Yeah. Might not be the game for you. <laughs> Everything that you have described to me, I'm like, that's probably a nah. It becomes Dark Souls, it sounds like. It's like you play like the, the Nintendo game at the front, <laughs> Dark Souls in the back. All right, all right, all right, all right. But here's the thing. Dark Souls doesn't put a timer. Dark Souls is like, you can kind of be a piece of shit as long as you get through this. It'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, that's, that's not a freedom that Pikmin affords you. It's like, you gotta be at this place at this time or else all your people die. So, Pikmin, you gotta more get your shit than together. any Dark Souls. Must be said. <laughs> <laughs> anything other than that Tori or has Pikmin kind of been like dominating your time um it's been dominating my time I did pick up a copy of Jordan Miner's book video game of the year mm-hmm. um earlier this week at a bookstore I've been kind of leafing through it I really thought I'd be like a good student and like read every single year chronologically mm-hmm. like a textbook but that's not what I'm doing I'm just hopping around oh cool and so like I started at the start of the book with 1977 which was Pong and now I am reading, I flipped to 1998. I was very curious about 98 because 98 is an extremely fucking stacked mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also both Noah and I's birth years, coincidentally. Mm. Um, but there's actually, he just, um, Metal Gear Solid is the 1998 game yeah. for him. Real shit. And yeah, real shit. Um, <laughs> but it's tough because I'm like, that's also the year the Ocarina of Time came out. Um, and as far as I... As far as I'm in the book right now, he hasn't mentioned it yet. But I know Wind Waker is one of the other games that's mentioned in 04 or 03. Um, so yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, good good book so far. I love the illustrations. I did not expect there to be pictures, but there's lots of pictures and I love it. That's really funny because the, the author was a guest on a Remap Radio recently. And I was listening to that right. episode and... Um, I think it was 1997. They were at, they were like quizzing him on certain years. Like same thing you were saying. They were like, okay, well, this was a stacked year. So what'd you pick for this one? And I forget what he picked for 1997, but it like, it wasn't what I was expecting. And I was like listening to it and I was like, no, I, I was it. like, no. Yeah. Check, check real quick what 1997 was. Uh, Cause like 97 was Final Fantasy seven. See, I heard that and I was like, I feel you. I get that. But like Half-Life came out that year too. You know, I'm like Half-Life one oh. came out yeah. that same year. <laughs> mm. 
Wow, it's weird to think about those coming out in the same year. That actually kind of breaks weird? my brain a Isn't little bit. Isn't that kind of fucked up? Yeah. yeah. It's the same thing when I think about like Metal Gear Solid 1 and The Ocarina of Time coming out at the same time. And I'm just like, those are both like such important games, but like huh. technologically, yeah. there is a gulf between those two games. You know, like there is yeah. an ocean. What year? I'm looking this up really quick. What year did The Last of Us come out? I knew it came out when I was like middle school age. Oh my God. It's like 2009 or something like that. That sounds about right. Yeah. 2013 2013 yeah so 2013 he has depression quest which definitely oh. threw me off i definitely thought the last of us would have been <laughs> that's real uh, that's cool. but 2012 he actually has the um the telltales walking dead that one oh. that's a solid one yeah who did so. uh who did austin walker write about because they, they've been hyping that. They're like, oh, Austin's got the final essay. Oh, that's or true. Like yeah. That. You <laughs> got to that point yet? I know Austin Walker does have a bit in there. No, I have not gotten to that, but. You'll have to report back once yeah, you get there. Yeah, I'll, I'll do my book report later. I love that 2006 is Wii Sports. I'm obsessed with that choice. <laughs> that's awesome. That's so true. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's what I've been mostly up to. Ben, what about you? Do you want to go next? Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm gonna embarrass myself quickly, but we're gonna move past it, and then I'm gonna uh, <laughs> talk about something more in depth. I just finished the the DLC for Xenoblade Chronicles Three, uh, Future Redeemed. Unfortunately, very good. Um, the the game that I've been noodling with and struggling with is uh, I'm slowly making my way through Cyberpunk 2077, uh, which I hadn't played when it can't kind of came out, but I'm like actually taking the time to play through and yeah the game itself i'm like i don't know about these systems i feel like the gameplay itself does not feel great but i'm really liking the story a lot Hmm. um and the the i think the basic conceit of it is just like really working for me it starts you kind of play as this character who goes on a classic heist the heist goes awry and you end up putting a chip into your head spoilers um, and that ship has the Keanu Reeves character on it. Oh. Who, and Keanu Reeves is essentially like his character in this world is like a, a terrorist. Like he was trying oh, to wow. like topple wow. the, you know, one of the big corporations. And the bit is that the way that this chip is working is you're slowly being overwritten with Keanu Reeves. And so the game then becomes this like really interesting conversation about like, personhood and who are you and as you're slowly being overwritten like like what does it mean to to change over time and is that death is that something else um and so i it's one of those games where i was like heard a lot about it was like oh that's a pass and then as i've kind of heard about the story i've been like am i gonna go back and like maybe (laughs) give this a shot and so far I'm enjoying myself. That's a better pitch than literally anything I've heard about that game yeah, up to this is, point. That I'm gonna be honest. Everything I've that heard. I had heard about that game was like was hot Stevie Garbo, and I was like, I'm never gonna touch it. Uh, and then I had a buddy who played it. Was like, I think you should actually check this out. Yeah. And so far, I'm feeling it. Nice. Wow. What platform are you playing it on? PS4. And it's not just like a busted mess. No, it's not. It's it's playing okay. I would. I think it feels a little bit like. I, as you're just like moving through the world, it feels you feel that this game is like kind of underdeveloped in some ways. Mm-hmm. Anytime I get into a car, I end up massacring a lot of people, not on purpose, but because the car <laughs> is near impossible to drive. Uh, so there's a lot of stuff where I'm like, mm, this is just like not great. There's like a combat thing where you have a you have like a samurai sword, mm-hmm. um, and it 
speaking of Morrowind, feels like Morrowind because you know how it's just like the the like you get the animation of the hand just like slashing in yeah. front of the screen. That's literally all that it is. And wow. you're like, cool, I guess I have a samurai sword. Um, there there is something really special about those games that are made on like the generational cusp where it's like you know they they like really really wanted to make it for the higher powered hardware but they kind of had to right. like poop it out for this slightly worse hardware and so you end up with these <laughs> with multiple games that are like they're the same yeah but like there there can sometimes be like some very odd differences between them for sure anything I, else or is uh is that is that what you're at right now that yeah i think that's where i'm at right now is there any last call top five favorite video games that we have missed <laughs> Oh my god! So we said Disco Elysium, Pentiment, Dark Souls Three. Um, I'm not actually sure if you said Disco Elysium the first time around, so that might oh, be. Oh, did new I one. not? Okay, yeah, well that definitely has to go right in there. Now. Oh, what was the? What's the fourth? So Dark Souls Three, Morrowind, Disco Elysium, Pentiment. Mm. Pentiment. That feels like a good lineup. What's a good? Something dumb has to go in the final. <laughs> the the final one is Xenoblade Chronicles Three. I have to go. <laughs> yeah, I was like, where's, where's the Xenoblade? I'm also curious that uh, you choose Pentiment over Citizen Sleeper. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I just, I, to me, I think that like Pentiment does a really good job of giving you fleshed out characters. I think that like um, Citizen Sleeper is like beautifully written and very writerly, but I think like sometimes like it just, it doesn't feel as like tangible and and it, and it doesn't have to be, but it, it, it doesn't feel like as real, real. Whereas like, I think Pentiment to me feels like you're reading a really good book. Hmm. Um, and a lot of those characters feel very like real to me. And I think there's something about sit, being able to sit down and like have full conversations with people that just make, makes them feel, I think, more real to me. And so, yeah, yeah when I walked away from that game, I, I f- it had a much more like emotional impact on me than getting to the end of a couple of the different endings that are in Citizen Sleeper. And so I, I think Pentiment stuck with me a little bit longer. I'm also interested in Xenoblade Chronicles 3 because you said that your entry to gaming, at least as an adult, was from the PS4. So at what point did you get a Switch? And at what point did Xenoblade occur to you? Uh, so we have someone that we we brought onto the show, Autumn Wright, mm-hmm. Um who I had been reading uh, for a while, but they have written a lot of like Xenoblade Chronicles stuff in Unwinnable, and I read it and I was like, "This is a pretty, this is a pretty good pitch," and unfortunately, that that took me down the dark, dark path that is Xenoblade Chronicles. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's cool too. I really like Autumn Wright's uh, writing in Unwinnable too. They have some good stuff. Phil, any uh, any final additions to your list or? Uh, Tori, am I am I at five? Yeah, you're at five. I, uh... You have Chrono Cross, Ooh, Kingdom oh, Hearts one, Kingdom Hearts two. I counted as each Ooh, separate. That's Citizen fair. Sleeper. <laughs> oh, whoa, whoa, Dark Souls whoa, whoa. one. Oh, no, I, I guess I should cut. <laughs> oh, oh, okay, <laughs> I okay. Cut, I should cut one. Kingdom, Kingdom Hearts one and two. I feel like could be a yeah. unit, like especially the way yeah, you described it. Yeah, you can combine like, it. You yeah, can yeah. combine it. We'll allow that. Uh, I mean, I feel like I should have a Final Fantasy on that list. I guess I just like role playing games. Um. I'm going to put Final Fantasy X on there, nice. although like the the Final Fantasy that held my heart growing up was Final Fantasy VIII. Um, and it was completely just because the character designs were cool, like, you know, 10-year-old Phil or whatever. 
sword and a gun, but it's together <laughs> as one weapon. Oh, fuck yeah. I mean, <laughs> you're not getting better than that. Um, Flash forward so... <laughs> many years later, Bloodborne. <laughs> yeah. It's true. It's true. <laughs> you know, it turns out smashing two things together, it works. It works. Um, another game that I think was also on the show, but another one that Ben asked me to play that I still think about a lot is uh, Before Your Eyes. Mm. Um, that is just a really, really, like, just tightly executed, beautiful game. Hmm. And it's short. Like, I feel like it's a game, like, if you don't play games, you could tell somebody play that, and they're going to be like, damn, games are pretty cool now. Yeah. Huh. Also, I cried like a little baby, like a lot, like Damn. multiple times playing that game. Go play I'm, that game. I'm gonna have to check this out. This sounds cool. It's like an hour. It's like an hour of your time, and you'll be very sad, but like in a good way. Okay, that's real. Yeah. Nice. All right. I guess that means uh, I'm in the hot seat now, and I gotta share what I've been playing. Um, I won't. I won't beat it to death too much more. I'm also playing Pikmin Four, and I've already really kind of talked about like the more interesting aspects of that, which is that like my partner, who is 100% of the game, is watching me play it, and she's just like, "Why are you <laughs> playing it like that?" And I'm like, "Leave me be. It's day four. You played 70 <laughs> days of this game, you know." Like, so um, that's where I'm at with that. It's good. I'm enjoying it. Um, I have inexplicably been playing just like a shitload of uh, Slay the Spire this week. This is not a game that is new to me. This is not a game that I have not already put like a gazillion hours into. It's just like sometimes I open up my Switch and I see it and I'm just like, what if I just like played a bunch of Slay the Spire? Like, and it's so good. And part of that is probably that like I've been really card game pilled lately, like with interest in like magic and like the Pokemon trading card game on Switch Online. Like I've just been really interested in that stuff. Like, uh, yeah, so Slay the Spire is kind of like scratching a very similar itch. Let me see. I wanted to shout out a couple of like non-games things as well, just because like I've already talked about Slay the Spire on the show multiple times. I do not need to go too in depth in like <laughs> the best uh roguelike card game under the sun. We talked a lot about Kingdom Hearts and this random person showed up on my TikTok for you page this past week. Um and let me see, their at is at deserted in urban they're like a fashion mm. account like a streetwear fashion type account but they put together like streetwear outfits for like characters from stuff a lot of the and Wait. they've done a lot of kingdom hearts characters recently and like i got one on my for you page on tiktok of their like roxas get up and i was like this is like the freshest outfit I've ever seen in my entire life. And I must have like hovered over it just long enough that like a few minutes later I got their goofy outfit. And I was like, this shit is so fucking cool, actually. Oh my God. So I found their page and I'm already going crazy. This they're, is so yeah, good. They're out here dressing like the main character of whatever. They're like, I don't know what, but they're the main character. I think they're I think their bio says that. Their bio says main character and director. And I'm like, yeah, you are. You're the main you character. You are in fact the main character. <laughs> These fits are so good. Are they awesome? They're so good. I'll put a link to this person's TikTok in the description and like tag them on Twitter if they're still on that garbage website. Um the the last thing I want to shout Zitter. out <laughs> Zitter, yeah. Um, we talk a lot about like YouTube video essays and that kind of stuff that uh, appeals to us at any given time. And I know we've talked about her a lot, but the, the YouTuber Hazel, her video essays, I know are always of interest to you and I, Tori, especially since she talks a lot about like weird anime subcultures or like weird gaming niches and that kind of thing. And 
while a lot of times with her videos i have like a baseline understanding of what she's talking about like even if it's not an anime i'm even remotely familiar with like i've seen anime and i i know how anime works so i can kind of grok some of what she's talking about her latest video that she put out earlier the this week when we were recording is about uh tokusatsu or like the kind of stuff that is like power rangers like when you have people Mm -hmm. in full costumes and like uh they're fighting monsters and it's all live action and that kind of thing and like i didn't watch power rangers as a kid this is a this is like a genre slash medium that is like greek to me and uh, she put out a video recently about like weird underground like uh women-led tokusatsu and it's fucking fascinating like it is so interesting i love this oh my Did god she get into the so live good. action sailor moon no the, it's no we're we're okay. like 30 layers underground from that this is like okay. this is the kind of <laughs> shit that, that like a lot of the stuff she's focusing on is stuff that was like obviously recorded on consumer grade equipment which is like mm. I, I don't know if i've talked about this on the show but like um my i've started carrying around like a crappy little digital camera i bought like a 2006 digital camera off of facebook marketplace because my phone cam my phone camera is busted so like i can't really take particularly good phone pictures and like I don't want to shell out to upgrade my phone until it combusts or something. So like I there is something kind of nostalgic to me and it's so trite because it's that whole, you know, it's the briny no thing about like the the stuff that is a limitation ends up becoming like the thing that people love about it. But there's something really interesting to me about like the way digital artifacting and like digital compression makes pictures look, especially on like a three or six megapixel camera. So like when she's talking about this whole show that was recorded on like just consumer grade equipment and how it looks so radically different, but also in some ways like warmer and more nostalgic than the kind of stuff that was coming out professionally at the time. Like that really spoke to me mm. and I really fucked with that. So it's also interesting to see like the continuity of how some of these subcultures still exist today. They're just not present very much in English language forums and English language areas. So, like, we just, as people who only speak English, I mean, speaking for myself at least, and as Americans, like, it's just kind of under our radar. And we don't realize that it's, like, a thing people are even into. So, highly recommend that YouTube video. Very, very fascinating into, like, a culture that I didn't even know people gave a shit about. So, Speaking of YouTube video Mm. recommendations... Uh, Noah recommended me a YouTube video today. It's actually mm. about Final Fantasy 16. I wanted Let's to shout go. it out. It's by Thor High Heels. They made this mm. video Final called- Fantasy 16 and Masculinity, um, which is a very interesting like analysis of the way Final Fantasy 16 talks about gender, uh, i.e., mm. the way it like fails <laughs> at gender mm. a little bit. Like there, are, there are a lot of good like guys being dude moments in this game. I will say, like Gav. <laughs> A guy being a dude. <laughs> Great dude. That crazy ass fight where you like fuse with your brother in the space kaiju battle and shoot lasers. Guys being dudes moment. Fucking amazing. <laughs> um, the way your love interest is treated, horrible. <laughs> so like your girlfriend gets treated like shit at the end and Ooh. you have all sorts of a weird complicated relationship with your mother that I'm not even going to get into here. Huh. So Yeah. Final Fantasy 16 and masculinity. Yeah. Fun fun fact too, uh, I really love Thor High Heels YouTube videos. They do great stuff and they have like a particular fondness for like, they call it the PS360 era of games where it's like that 
uh everybody was just going nuts on like bloom and um just like weird desaturated colors everything looks kind of either brown <laughs> or blue and then if it doesn't it's like some of the weirdest looking colors you've ever seen in your entire life like and then they're also the person who did the music for uh, Umarangi Generation too which is like oh, a really fantastic game and you guys talked to uh, the person behind that too so yes yeah interesting yeah I, i'm looking at this hazel account right now and as somebody who grew up watching power rangers was part of the mighty Morphin power rangers fan club and watched <laughs> power rangers for far too long into my teenage years uh i will 100 percent be watching this hour and nine minute long video let's go yeah i don't know i don't know why you're why you're calling that out phil i feel like at the end of the day i love a, a nasty long uh you know video just explaining whatever i will watch it if it's yeah. seven hours like that's preferable that's the that's actually the <laughs> ideal thing don't don't I, come I at love, me with that hour-long video that's for cowards yeah i love like a, a two-hour long podcast or video essay where i can like clean work yes. out take a shower and yes. like eat dinner yeah it's like the amount of executive function that is happening <laughs> during oh, that God. length of video it's, it's impressive it's impressive and bro is still talking in the mic. Yeah, yeah. He's, back, he's still going you know, like. the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Right. I think that kind of brings us to the end here. Um, yeah. Where where can people find you guys online? Where can they find Origin Story? Where can they find uh, your writing if you want to share it? Like, where where are you guys on the internet? You can find Origin Story on. Did you guys call it Zitter? <laughs> Zitter. Uh, Zitter, formerly known as Twitter, um, at origin story underscore or, you know, on our website, origin story dot show. And it's, you know, on all the, the podcasting platforms. Um, and then you can follow me on Zitter <laughs> at 3D Cisco. That's S-I-S-Q-O. Um, and all the other links are there but uh yeah thanks thanks for having me thanks for having yeah thank you for having us uh this was great it was great talking to you don't follow me i don't want to be known cool <laughs> you're the real. best handle <laughs> uh my zitter handle is at sad underscore uh radio underscore lad uh but that i really I've been, good. increasingly i'm like it's you know i just don't post anymore because i'm like yeah we're all leaving this app eventually right yeah you you got blue sky or a, a co-host? I do, but I don't. I don't use that either. Threads? I think I'm I'm fully ready to like do the thing where I walk off into the woods. I go. I become nobody, <laughs> and people are like, "Do you remember that guy?" And it's like, "No, not really." You're, you're doing the thing at like the end of the Truman Show where he just like he leaves. That's just you. You're yes. just leaving. <laughs> yes, that's where I'm at in my life. I'm trying to become vaporwave after this. You know, like <laughs> yeah, that's real. You can still find me. Uh, I still post a lot, unfortunately. At Tori underscore as underscore always. A true poster. We respect it. I'm increasingly just treating uh, Twitter like journalist LinkedIn. It just is like a, mm. a continually mm. trying to just use it for networking and shit. So I'm unfortunately still there. But like, yeah, unfortunately, I've gotten three different jobs through DMing editors on Twitter. So like, unfortunately, Damn. this works out really well for me. Damn. Yeah, last two jobs I've gotten through through Twitter, unfortunately. I'm on there at Noah underscore Hertz, spelled H-U-R-T-S. The podcast is on there. I think I kind of get all my posting energy out through the podcast Twitter, and that's at press underscore start pod. It's also on Tumblr at press hyphen start pod, and um, between the two of those, you know, you get your posting energy out. 
the music for our intro and outro are from the artist Geist. You can listen to more of their stuff at noahgeist.bandcamp.com. The show art is by Kai at Wisp Graphics. And, you know, as always, you can email the show if you've got questions about literally anything at heypressstart at gmail.com. And, yeah, rate and review us on whatever thing you're listening to that's supposed to help, like, the algorithm and shit. So do that. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. This was a really good conversation. And like I said, like, uh, we both really enjoy your show. So it was very, it's very cool to talk to you guys like about your process and kind of put you on the, put you on the same spot that you guys get to put other creatives on. So thank you for listening. Yeah.